Strength in the Shadows, the podcast where we fearlessly navigate the art of building discipline, cultivating grit, mastering resilience, and unlocking true potential. Surpass your limits and join us on this journey of transformation as we unapologetically explore the intersection of fitness, mindset, and unwavering accountability. Welcome, my friend. Let's go. Money. Getting exposed to and entering the world of the 1%. That's right. The top 1% most wealthy, influential, and powerful people and families on planet Earth. It was absolutely insane. It was crazy. And I'll tell you right now, I learned very quickly. There are levels to the game we call life. And so this episode starts in Massachusetts. I grew up in a suburb just outside of Boston. And lucky enough for me, in regards to high school, I had two different experiences. One was public school and the other was private school. Two very different worlds. And so my first four years of high school, I went to public school, got a great education, paid zero dollars. And my goal and dream was always to go to the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. That was the dream. And lucky enough for me, was fortunate enough to gain acceptance or admission. But the Naval Academy offered a spot, not in that year's class, but the following year's class. So essentially, there was going to be a one-year gap in between graduating from this, from this public high school and entering day one at the Naval Academy as a freshman. One year. So with a gap year, what would you do? My idea, my plan... It was to go to Europe, right? Go backpack Europe. Maybe shoot down to Argentina, explore Patagonia, shoot over to Buenos Aires, chase some tail, sling some dong, do some keg stands, learn some bachata, right? Learn some Espanol, boom, return back to the Naval Academy, start day one as a freshman on a strong note. Hell yeah, I'm in. Well, unfortunately, the Navy had different plans. So if you didn't get direct acceptance into the Naval Academy, there were three different routes. Route number one, attend a traditional college or university, reapply to the Naval Academy, see if you get in. Route number two, you get offered a spot at NAPS, which is the Naval Academy Prep School. It's in Newport, Rhode Island, and essentially it's in a fifth-year extension of the Naval Academy. So it's military, you wear a uniform, learn how to shine your shoes and boots, you PT, you work out, boom, better prepared, post-NAPS, you graduate and you go right to the Naval Academy. Route number three, foundation school program. This was a great deal. Essentially, they offered 30 or 40 students the opportunity or privilege to have a full ride, completely paid for one year at a prestigious private school or boarding school. You go to the school, stay out of trouble, don't get hurt, don't get injured, and you get good grades, boom. You have a guaranteed spot in that next year's class at the Naval Academy. So I was offered foundation school program. I accepted. It was the best thing for me. It absolutely prepared me for my four years at Annapolis. I grew a lot. I learned a lot about myself. But I'll tell you, man, did I want to go? Was I thrilled? Absolutely not. All my friends, all my buddies, they went to regular colleges, right? They went to UMass Amherst, URI, UNH, Arizona State, Ohio State, South Carolina, University of Miami, you name it. They were all having fun, partying it up, living it up. Meanwhile, my sorry ass was doing a victory lap. I was back in high school for a fifth year. And uh, yeah, man, it sucked. But it was the best thing for me. Like I said, my goal, my dream was to go to the Naval Academy. So eyes on the prize. So when I first got to this prep school, it was in Western Massachusetts. Very prestigious and very expensive. So there was one other gentleman 
who's a good buddy of mine to this day, me and him were the two guys, the only two Navy dudes who'd be going to the Naval Academy post this one year. And so we linked up, really, really good dude, and we hung in there together. And we were essentially like the two poorest kids at this school. We didn't come from a ton of money. He came from New Jersey. Obviously, I was from Massachusetts. But, man, we definitely had a culture shock being surrounded by extremely high-level wealth. It was insane. And to set the tone here of this private school, dude, it was like fifty-five dollars or $60,000 per year. And that was per kid. So there were some families that sent, you know, three or four kids to this private school for all four years of high school, and they would pay, what, a quarter of a million dollars per kid for high school, and then boom, after graduating, pay a high price tag for college. I mean, that was how much money these families had. It was insane. Dude, I remember, I mean, let me make this clear as well. Most of the people, contrary to popular belief, the students and the kids at the school, we're actually awesome. They're really good people. They always treated me with respect. They had humility. They were humble. And I had zero issues. I had no fights. It was really fun. And I have some, you know, really good friendships from there and made some great connections. But of course, like any place, there are the bad eggs and there were, you know, really, really arrogant, you know, cocky kids who were living off their family's money or whatever. But there were very few of those people at that school. But I remember, man, there was one girl that came into class crying one day, right? She was super upset. Her parents had punished her and they had cut down her on her monthly allowance. That's right. Her family was giving her $30,000 per month to spend on whatever she wanted. I guess she got in trouble, didn't listen to her parents. They punished her. They cut her monthly allowance from $30,000 to $20,000. And she was pissed. She was upset was swearing in class, couldn't believe that her parents would do that. That's the level of money that was at the school. In addition, there was another gentleman who was gifted when he got his driver's license or learner's permit. He was gifted by his parents a Lamborghini. Within one week of owning that Lamborghini, he crashed it, he totaled it. And his parents were pissed and they punished him. So they bought him another car. He didn't get another Lamborghini, but they punished him with a BMW X6. Yeah. It was another level at this school. But like I said, a lot of really good people there. I mean, hell, the grandson of the inventor of the ATM. You know, he was there at the school. He was a year behind me. There was Patrick Ewing, right? The Hall of Fame basketball player. His daughter was at the school. That was really cool seeing Patrick Ewing on um, Parents Day, right? All the parents from all these kids would come and visit the school once a year. Hell, I remember, dude, this is wild. The daughter of Daniel Craig was a classmate of mine. Daniel Craig, famous actor. Some of you may know him as James Bond. Yes, James Bond came to the campus on Parents' Day. And dude, it was everything you could ever imagine, right? Range Rover pulls up, private security, all wearing black suits, opens the door, James Bond steps out of this Range Rover, hair flowing in the wind, puts on the aviators, the top three or four buttons on his shirt were undone, with a little bit of chest hair popping out, I mean, it was fucking James Bond, it was wild, his daughter absolutely hated him, 
and thought he was the biggest prick ever as he had, you know, cheated on her mother multiple times. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, dude, that was wild. That was crazy. Daniel Craig's daughter was at this school. And man, I must admit too, my girlfriend at the time or my ex-girlfriend while I was there, she was a hot ticket. She was super cute, came from a ton of money. I guess her family was one of the richest families, you know, at this school. She never showed it. She was super humble, down to earth. And uh, man, yeah, I was falling in love. Absolutely. Had no idea that she had a ton of money or that her family did. Um, but I quickly learned that. And that's where the story is going to go. So this gal, right, ends up inviting me on Thanksgiving break or Christmas break to New York City, her hometown, right? She lived in Upper East Side, right there in Manhattan. And I had never been in New York, or at least maybe once when I was younger, but I decided to jump on the bus in Boston. I took the train there into Chinatown and there was a bus line. It was super economical, right? It was super cheap. It was called the Fung Wa. And essentially, the Fung Wa bus would go from Chinatown in Boston to Chinatown in New York City, back and forth, back and forth. Dude, I paid like seven bucks or $10. And it was insane. And I was warned, don't take the Fung Wa bus. I had no idea why, but I quickly learned when I got on that bus. Essentially, <laughs> dude, they were like, I get on the bus, there's like people cooking dumplings or like steaming food on the bus to it like, you know, smells of all these different types of uh, foods. It was overwhelming. There were also live chickens in cages, like rattling around the entire three or four hour drive to New York. And I must admit and must say the driving was atrocious. It was insane. And like, you can look it up. There were tons of buses that were crashing and, you know, going over the outside of the road or the lane there. And um, it was a safety concern for sure. I mean, how I remember going through the tolls to New York and where it says to slow down to like 15 or 20 miles per hour, the bus drivers of the Fungwa buses would like blow through the gate at like 70 or 75 miles per hour. Boom. People screaming, you know, especially first timers that didn't know anything else. Boom, holding on to the, the armrest there, screaming as it was like two or three inches on either side of the bus. It was insane. Made it to Chinatown there in New York City, and they were selling shirts. I survived Fung Wa. I should have bought in one of those. That would have been epic. But yeah, man, get to New York. And then I end up taking uh, the train or the metro there to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And dude... It was wild. I'm walking the streets there of New York, and I think it was like Madison and like 94th or 95th Street. I don't remember. But as I'm entering this neighborhood of my girlfriend at the time, it starts to get quieter and quieter. The cars get nicer and nicer. You start seeing Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Yves Saint Laurent, right? Dude, it was getting very rich very, very quickly. You see the woman walking her poodle with like the trench coat on or like, you know, the furry hat and, um, you know, the diamond out Rolex or whatever and the big, you know, wedding ring. It was wild. 
It was everything you would see in the movies. And so I take a uh, sharp right down the street, super residential, and there's like a doorman or a butler waving me down as I'm trying to look for the address of my girlfriend. Hey, hey, calls me by my name. Joe, right this way. He opens the door for me. I walk in. It's a beautiful lobby. And there's two elevators. There's one elevator that's a standard elevator, right? Could fit six to eight people. And across the hall from the standard elevator was a private elevator that could only fit one or two people. And there was only one button inside this private elevator. So he escorts me inside the elevator here and he clicks the button that says or reads PH. Had no idea what that stood for. I guess that means penthouse. So he says, enjoy your stay. As he clicks the button, steps out of the elevator and like bows his head as the doors, you know, shut and boom, I shoot up and the private elevator door opens. I get out of the elevator and there's essentially a marble staircase that leads up to these massive, like 20 foot doors with these gargoyle um, door knockers there, right? So I come up to this door. There's like an intercom button on the side. I push it. My girlfriend at the time comes on the intercom, says, hey, I'll be right down. I'm upstairs. Make yourself at home. As she says that, both doors magically open automatically. And boom, I enter this penthouse. Dude, I had never seen anything like this. It was insane. It was a two-story penthouse at the very top of this, you know, building in New York in the middle of the action there. And it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was absolutely massive. There was no one home. My ex or my girlfriend at the time was upstairs. And so I walk in as she's getting ready and I start admiring or checking out the place, giving myself a tour. And I go into the living room and I'll never forget this man. I walked into the living room and there, like, you know, in front of the fireplace above the mantle were these two super custom paintings, one that contained the entire family. So my girlfriend, her brothers and sisters, her father, her mother, her stepmother, right? All right there. And then on the side of it, it was her father with a cigar lit looking directly at the painter or the photographer, right? And the father, right? Where did all this money come from? He was essentially one of the founders of Buffalo Wild Wings. He also started a box company, which if you think about, you know, cardboard boxes and shipping, can you imagine all the deliveries, the worldwide packages, everything was going through this gentleman here. So he was made of hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. At the time, he was working on Wall Street and they owned a yacht in the Bahamas. And I mean, dude, it was stupid money. And so, of course, underneath the fireplace, there was like a bear rug with like the mouth wide open, right? Next to the bear rug, there was like an ivory piano that was like a hundred something thousand dollars. And then next to the piano on the wall, I saw all this artwork, all these paintings. It was super cool. It seemed to have been my girlfriend's painting when she was a kid or something like taking paint and splattering it on a canvas and the teacher wrapping it up and having you bring it home to your family. It was super sweet. It was super cool. 
And so I went to go check out this artwork, and there's like a name written in the bottom left-hand corner of each art piece. But it doesn't say my girlfriend's name. It says Jackson Pollock? Pollock? Jackson Pollock? Had no idea who that was. Eh, shrugged my shoulders, walked away. It turns out that each one of those paintings was worth anywhere from $500,000 to a million dollars. Jackson Pollock's artwork was literally right there in the living room. Can't make this up. So dude, yeah, dated this girl for like four to six months. Arguably one of the worst girlfriends, if not the worst girlfriend I've ever had in my entire life. Treated me like absolute shit. Um, definitely had her own demons going on. She wanted to be an actress. Um, so that should have been a red flag in itself. But um, she was super talented, super smart. She was charming. But like I said, she had some demons she was dealing with. And uh, I'll never forget though, man. I'll never forget those times that I visited her in New York City and really seeing how the 1% lived. It was another level. And dude, you know, a lot of people have this imagination or fantasy that like when you have money, life's perfect and that all these people and families have like the best lives ever. And of course, at this public or at this private school, there were absolutely families that were healthy, that were doing well, that loved their kids, that treated them, you know, like the world was theirs and so much love and appreciation and respect. But at the same time, too, sadly enough, the reality that there were so many of these families that were fully loaded and so wealthy, but they were absolutely miserable and their kids and their families absolutely hated and resented their parents with everything they had. And I must admit, I must tell you, my ex-girlfriend despised her parents growing up, hated them. A lot of neglect, a lot of issues. Um, the dad there had divorced, remarried to like a hot little young thing. Stepmom was a witch. So my girlfriend at the time, absolutely, at least growing up from the ages of like 10 to 14 or 15, despised her stepmom. And it was pretty messed up, dude. I remember her telling me that when she was growing up and she was like 10, 11, 12 years old, she'd come home from school with her siblings and the stepmom would intentionally lock the door, not let the kids in. And the dad or her would slide an envelope underneath the door for the kids to use and to go about their time and just to stay away and get away while they did their thing. What was in the envelope? Three to $500 in cash every single day being given to 11, 12, and 13-year-old kids. So as a young kid, probably, I'm sure it was fun. It was cool, right? You go run amok in New York City, grab cotton candy, shop at the Toys R Us, Go do whatever you want, right? Buy food. Enjoy yourself. Well, when you have everything, right? Now when you're 13, 14, or 15 years old and you have everything, what would you do with three to $500 every single day? You guessed it. Drugs and alcohol. These kids were blowing coke, ripping bong, and running an absolute fucking mock in New York. All these rich kids from all these families that all experienced the same thing, right? The same neglect, all this stuff. We're just basically running wild around New York with all this money, getting into trouble. And so oftentimes these families would send their kids out of New York City or, you know, out of the home, 
out of their hometown there, ship them off to boarding school or private school, and boom, not my problem. Go enjoy four years of high school. You can come back during the summers, but outside of that, don't want you around the house. And unfortunately and sadly enough, I saw a lot of issues and a lot of kids who were just absolutely miserable and didn't come from very loving or supporting families. All in all, though, you know, like I said, it was one of the best things that had ever happened to me. I really saw and truly felt what it was like to be a part of the 1%. Even though I was like the poorest kid there, right? Kids were literally, I mean, I remember one kid. This is another story. I have to tell it. I remember that I was looking at buying a pair of Jordans or I wanted some, you know, new swag to rock in the new year. And I remember on my laptop looking or shopping for Black Friday or something. And there was a kid who actually saw me trying to buy some shoes or some clothes. And he said, hey, what do you want? I have my parents' credit card. Can I get you anything? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. They pay it off every single month. I mean, I don't care. What do you want? You want some new Jordans? You want some Yeezys? I mean, do you want some Brooks Brothers? Whatever you want. Here's the card. Swipe it. Now, looking back on it, maybe I should have taken him up on that offer. But at the time, at least with how I was raised, that wasn't my style. I didn't buy anything with this dude's credit card and charge the parents five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Maybe I should have. Maybe I'm an idiot. But at the time, that didn't make sense to me. And I wasn't going to do that. But like I said, it came from a good heart, good intention place. He was a good friend, a good buddy of mine. But that was how money just didn't mean anything. And I guess that's what one of the biggest things that I took away from that school is that there are people that live these extravagant lifestyles, many of which are happy and many of which are absolutely miserable. And what were the things, at least now, you know, in my late 20s or 30s that I've come to realize is that happiness really stems down to purpose, to fulfillment, to working hard, to accomplishing things on your own, to people right? Connections, feeling loved, being respected, going out, socializing, right? We are, we're humans. Humans are meant to connect with other people. And we don't have that. We don't have any of those things. You could have all the money in the world, but man, it won't matter. And that's oftentimes where, where you'll read or, you know, hear stories of people miserable in their Lamborghinis or in their penthouses or, you know, crying up a storm on their yacht because they just are so unhappy and they lack purpose, fulfillment, and true deep connection. So whether you have money out there or not, of course, I mean, money's the dream. Would love to be made of money or be able to grab it from the tree. But at the end of the day, using this story to build perspective here, keep your eyes on the prize, chase the dream, do what you want, work hard, take care of yourself, be kind to others. And no matter whether the money finds you or not, Keep things into perspective and realize that the true things that actually matter most are respect, connection, love, and a deeper meaning on life. Stay well, and maybe one day I'll see you at the 1%. As we come to a close, I would like to express my sincere appreciation to each and every one of you for joining us on this transformative journey. 
If you found value in our discussions and stories, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave a review for my podcast. Your reviews not only fuel my passion for creating meaningful content, but also allow others to discover this empowering space. Your support truly makes a difference. All links are in the description. Thank you for being an essential part of this dynamic community. Goodbye for now, and remember, keep going.